Thank you. Thanks, everyone. So good to see you this morning. And I, I just wanted to reiterate these days, um, you know, Mother's Day, Father's Day, while they are so special, um, they can also bring a bit of pain to some people, um, depending on maybe you as a mother, um, you know, having loss or estrangement with your children or anything like that, but also for people who have mums. And maybe there's a bit of pain in those relationships there and a bit of estrangement. So I want to encourage you to remember that God is our perfect parent. And in this time where we want to honour um, mums so much, we also want to acknowledge that there, there are times where it can be hard and these days can kind of bring that up. So, um, yeah, I want to also just pray before we get into the Word. So would you join me? God, we just pray right now for your Holy Spirit to speak this morning. God, and I've got a word here, I prepared it, but I don't want to speak what you don't want. And God, I just pray that as I speak and share, God, your heart would be revealed. God, I pray that you would just be speaking so loudly, God, that there would just almost be like a burning in hearts this morning of what you were trying to speak, what you were trying to draw us into as your people, as your disciples, and, and closer and closer to you. We bless this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thanks, Dad. Thanks for doing that, and you'll be back up very shortly. Um, our passage this morning is from the Gospel of John. So if you have your Bibles and want to turn there, we are looking at John 1, um, verses 19 to 28. Um, and we are going to be looking at a person from the Bible called John the Baptist. And you might go, John the Baptist, who's that? Some of you would know. Um, his, his story is actually found all throughout the Gospels. So that means it's pretty special because not everyone is in every Gospel. And actually, when in some Gospels, before we even hear about Jesus, we hear about John the Baptist. So I would say someone pretty important. Um, Jesus himself actually talked about John the Baptist. And he said, I tell you the truth of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. So pretty big uh, things to say about someone. Um, and so I'm going to read from this passage this morning, and then we're going to unpack it together. It says this, This was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask John, or John the Baptist, Who are you? He came right out and said, I am not the Messiah. Well then, who are you? Are you Elijah? No, he replied. Are you the prophet we are expecting? No. Then who are you? We need an answer for those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? Sorry, I've just lost my track. There we go. John replied in the words of the prophet Isaiah, I am a voice shouting in the wilderness. Clear the way for the Lord's coming. Then the Pharisees who had been sent asked him, If you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet, what right do you have to baptize? John told them, I baptize with water, but right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognize. I'm talking about Jesus, clue. Um, Though his ministry follows mine, I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandal. This encounter took place in Bethany, an area east of the Jordan River where John was baptising. So before we go into kind of unpacking this, I wanted to give a bit of a storyline or a timeline of the life of John the Baptist. Um, he was actually prophesied about, about 700 years prior to his birth by the prophet Isaiah. And we'll, we'll hear that quote before, I'm a voice shouting in the wilderness, comes from that. Um, but also his birth was miraculous, just like Jesus. And it kind of preempts the birth of Jesus, um, which is really cool. Um, his parents were Zechariah and Elizabeth. 
and Zechariah was a priest, um, and they were very old, um, but they actually couldn't have children. So we've heard this story a few times in the Bible with like Abraham um, and Sarah. Um, and so, you know, they have their whole life, but they have no kids. Um, and so obviously they've, they've brought this before God. They're like, God, we want, we want a child, we want a son, um, but it hasn't happened. And so one day Zechariah finds himself you know, at the temple doing his duties. Um, and they kind of throw the dice as to who's going to go into the sanctuary to, to, you know, burn incense and do those priestly duties in the sanctuary. And that day it happens to be Zechariah. And so Zechariah goes in and um, he encounters the angel Gabriel. And as always happens in the Bible, when someone encounters an angel, they freak out. They're like... <gasps> I don't know if you've seen any kind of memes of, of you know, the angel that we, we see in our eyes, like the cute little fluffy white angels that we have for kids' ministry versus what the Bible describes angels being like, like almost like a gigantic, I don't know, like tarantula or something and people like not, not very um, calming and, pres- you know, lovely. <laughs> but, um, you know, everyone has this same reaction to an angel. They freak out. Um, and so... Gabriel says, calm down, it's all cool. Um, And it says this, God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and be glad and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or any other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah, a previous prophet, and he will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. And so then as the, as the story progresses, we also find out that John is related to Jesus um, because their mothers are related. And so there's actually this really cool story where, um, you know, uh, Mary visits Elizabeth and um, John in her womb leaps with joy. And she's like, oh, my goodness, my baby recognizes that you're the mother of our saviour. And um, Elizabeth is actually then filled with the Holy Spirit. So she was a Pentecostal, pretty cool. Um, (laughs) But, um, and then um, we also see that when uh, Gabriel is telling Mary about Jesus, um, he also tells her about um, John because she's going, well, God, I'm, I'm a virgin. How's this going to happen? And he's going, well, your cousin um, Elizabeth is old and she's, she's having a baby. So I think I can do that too. Um, so as the story progressed, we see John become an adult and he lives this rugged lifestyle in the wilderness. He's, you know, got this simple life. He's wearing clothes made of um, camel's hair. He eats honey and locusts. Um, and so he, he lives a bit of an, a different lifestyle from the mainstream because he's set apart for his calling. And so then his ministry actually starts to grow in popularity. Um, And, you know, he has a following of people, disciples, and people start to come out into the wilderness to see him. And he was known for telling people, you know, repent and turn from your sins and be baptized. And all of that is preparing people's hearts to receive Jesus. Um, This actually then puts him at odd with the Pharisees and the religious leaders, uh, much like Jesus, who will come soon, um, because he calls them this brood of vipers. Because they, they actually don't think that they need that. They're like, I'm, I'm good. I don't need to be baptised. That's for sinners. And he's like, no, you do. You do. Um, and so we actually then see Jesus being baptised by John the Baptist in this beautiful moment of mutual humility. 
where John is like, I'm not even worthy to baptize you. But Jesus is like, I must be baptized. And this is the moment before Jesus steps into his full ministry. And after that moment, we have the Holy Spirit descending on him. And we have that, that famous line where God says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, placing the identity of the son of God on him. But then as Jesus's ministry begins to grow, we actually start to see that John's ministry starts to dwindle because his followers start to follow Jesus. Um, And he actually gives the most amazing response, which we'll we'll talk about later. Um, But it starts to decline from there. Um, He then um, finds himself uh, kind of annoying King Herod um, and his wife because he calls them out for having, um, you know, Herod has married his uh, his brother's sister, and Herod uh, and John's just doing what he's called to do. He's saying, "Hey, that's not right," um, which lands him in some hot water, and actually ends with his life being ended by beheading. So some of that you might know, some of that might be new, but that is essentially, in a nutshell, the story of John the Baptist. And I think it's significant that. He is someone that is called to prepare the way for Jesus. You know, we're now on the other end of that, right? John did his job and and Jesus came through and we now have Jesus. But it also kind of mirrors the calling of us as his disciples to also prepare the way for Jesus. And so while John the Baptist wasn't directly a disciple of Jesus, there's actually still discipleship lessons that we can learn from him and his life. Um, and so I want to unpack that today. Um, so my first, the first lesson that we can take from John the Baptist is that he knew his identity. He knew his identity. In the passage we just read, he makes it really clear that he knows who he is and who he is not. When they ask him, who are you? He goes, I am not the Messiah. I am not Elijah. I am not the prophet you've been expecting because all of that was Jesus. Um, But then he actually knew who he was. He said, I am a voice in the wilderness making the way for um, Jesus. And also he talks about, with such humility, he goes, I'm not even worthy of um, untying his sandals. In other words, he goes, I'm not even worthy of the lowest act possible as a slave for Jesus. Um, so just an incredible awareness of who he was. And he knew who he was not because he knew who he was. Um, one commentator puts it this way, John becomes a template for Christian discipleship generally. When asked, who are you? The disciple knows exactly what to say. And so we're going to just camp here for a moment. I'll spend the most time here this morning because our identity, the way we see ourselves, the narrative that we have in our minds about who we are and what we're, who, who we're meant to be and our lives is probably one of the most single, most important things in our lives. Um, out of our identity actually flows everything else that we do. And we actually see in the example of John that he built his life solely on God, solely on the words that God has said over him. His, his identity was fully shaped by God and also a deep humility before Jesus. We see that John had, you know, built his life on the written words from God, the prophetic words spoken over his life and the person of Jesus in shaping his identity. And so what is identity or what as believers or disciples are kind of the three forms of identity that we have? Um, 
this is a working theory, okay? Someone might have put this out better, but this is the one that I've come up with. The first is that we have an identity as a human, a human being. We're all humans, and um, no matter what background people have grown up in or part of the world, one of the most significant questions or philosophical questions people will ask is, who am I? What, is it, what does it mean to be a human? And in the very first chapter of the Bible, we get that answer so directly. Genesis 1.27 says this, So God made human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so we are made in the image of God. We are his image bearers. We have inherent worth because of that. We reflect the worth of our creator, which is so beautiful. But then a few chapters later, we find out that um, this also has a bit of a twist. That, yes, we are image bearers, but unfortunately, we have been distorted by sin. And, um, and so that's obviously what made the way for Jesus to come and restore that, restore our identity um, with the Father. And so the next identity is an identity as a believer. And so this one, um, the, the next two, they, they all kind of mesh together, okay? But this one is, uh, I guess, more of a general one, kind of a church-wide, when, we, when we're thinking about kind of the brothers and sisters of Christ. We're in the family of God, you know? In our family, we are a family, <laughs> just like other people have their family. You have your culture, you have your identity as being part of a family. And so the identity for us is that we are part of the family of God, um, and Ephesians 2.19 says this, that through Jesus, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. And then 1 Thessalonians talks about this when it says, we know, dear brothers and sisters, there's that family lingo, that God loves you and has chosen you to be his own people. You know, and much of the New Testament actually discusses, um, you know, forming our identity as this community of the family of God as God as God's people, which leads to the, the third one, um, is identity as a son and a daughter. And this is more speaking, um, you know, and this flows obviously out of that, uh, the second one, but this is personal. This is who God's created us uniquely to be with our unique personality and our temperaments, the gifts that he's given us and the calling he has on our life. Romans 12 talks about this where it says, Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different abilities for doing certain things well. And then it goes on to list all those different things that we could do. And I know that that is, is talking about what we do, but remember what we do flows from who we are. And so God has given each of us such unique personalities. We're all so different and yet so perfectly loved by the Father. Um, and so this identity as a son and a daughter is so crucial for us to realise that it's not just out there, it's not just generic, but it is personal. And this is the, the, the idea that the Father loves his children. He loves you individually, just like, you know, we have our two kids and, and it's so beautiful starting to see their differences and, and start to see, oh, Geordie has this kind of temperament and this personality and Caden has this one. That's exactly how God views us. And he is, he's given us those um, gifts. So with all that said, those three types of identity that we can have, my question is what voices are forming your identity? 
Is it God's voice like John the Baptist? The words that were spoken over him. The words that are spoken over you. Or is it maybe cultural messaging? Or the opinions of individuals? Which words from God have been spoken over you that maybe you've put on the shelf or have actually maybe been crowded out by the voices of others? Henry Nguyen says this, Spiritual identity means we are not what we do or what people say about us and we are not what we have. We are the beloved daughters and sons of God. And so it's so crucial for us that he is our voice when it comes to our identity. He is the one that gets to form us and that we we allow to be amplified in our ears. My other question is, do you know who you are so that you can easily identify who you are not? In other words, are you comfortable in your own skin? You're not trying to be this person. You're not trying to be that. You're not trying to be a square fitting into a circle. You are so comfortable in how God's created you and, and, and the identity that he has put on your life. And my question is, who are you comparing yourself to that you weren't made to be? Because God didn't make you like them. He made you like you. And he said it was good. The other end of that is that sometimes we can actually tie into our identity sinful things, right? So we can, we can tie in things and we kind of label it, oh, that's my personality, oh, I just do this all the time, that's just my personality. But actually, that's not our personality, that's sin. And so we have, to, we have to be able to differentiate that. If it leads to wholeness, if it leads to health, looking at the fruit, that is who God's created me to be. If it reflects my God, that is who he's created me to be. If it reflects darkness, sin, that's, that's not God. And so I want to encourage you that there might be some personality things that we have to let go of because they're not who God's intended us to be. They're actually just sin. So it's a big question. I know there's a lot in there, okay? But I just really felt this morning that to encourage you for the Father's heart for you, that he has called you, he has spoken identity over you, both generally as his His people, but also personally. And I just want to bring that back up to the surface of your mind, that God is calling you to be who he's called you to be. Um, and to not worry. And I believe also when we can be so comfortable in who we are, it actually begins this ripple effect, right? When we walk in the fullness and the confidence of who God's called us to be, it actually starts a ripple effect where people go, oh, wow, I actually want to be in the fullness of who God's called me to be too. And we're not pulling each other down to our levels. We're actually calling each other to rise in the fullness. There's no competition. There's no comparing. And it's just, it just represents the beautiful diversity of our God and, and giving him back all the glory. So which voices are forming your identity? My next, the next lesson that we can learn from John the Baptist is that he knew his purpose. And this does, like I said, is what we, who we are, uh, what we do flows up from who we are. So it does cross over a bit. But John knew his purpose. He knew what he was on the earth to do. He was crystal clear he was so focused um and he wasn't confused he knew my role I'm not that my role is this it's to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord and and so we we had that in the passage before where he so clearly defines you know I'm here to prepare the way and so my question for you is that do you know the purposes that God has for your life 
Is it unwavering or is it kind of like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Because that's not God's heart for you. God is clear. He knows what he wants you to do. He's created you. He's created you for purpose. Do you know what that is? You know, we've talked many times about um, my parents <laughs> um, showing my daughter a 90s show called Salty. Did anyone else see Salty? And, yep, yep. Um, and so recently, Jordan's been watching this one over and over again. And I'm always like, oh, this is so cringy. But I'm like, it's good, it's good. And then God always like, is like, hey, you need that. Don't dismiss the childlike things that you need. I'm like, oh, okay, God, you're right. And there's this song. I'm going to sing it. So be cringe with me. It goes, God has a plan for my life. God has a plan for my life. I just can't wait to see what's in store for me. Oh, because God has a plan for my life. And so that, that's the level of awesomeness of these songs. <laughs> but, but how profound is that? I was like doing dishes and I'm hearing it from the kitchen. I'm like, that's right. He does. And I felt that over Jordan. I was like, Jordy, yes, God has a plan for your life. And I felt like God say, that's my heart for you. I have a heart. I have a plan for you. And that's his heart for each of you. Okay. You are his children. He loves you. God has a plan for your life. And I just can't wait to see what he does. And so I want to encourage you this morning to, to again, some of you have had purpose spoken over you and you know what your purpose is and so when you have a crystal clear focus of what you're called to it actually allows you to start saying no start pushing things to the side I think sometimes we really complicate this God didn't intend our life to be super complicated he's called us to be obedient to him and what he's called us to do and so of course it means saying no to some bad things we, we kind of get that right but also it does say, mean that we sometimes have to say no to good things too and differentiate. That's a good thing, but it's not the God thing on my life. And so I want to encourage you this morning, what is holding you back from pursuing God's purposes for your life wholeheartedly? If there are things that you need to surrender, I want to encourage you, lay it before the Father, lay it at his feet and so my ending question is, what have you been put on this earth to do? God knows. Do you know? Because he wants to tell you this morning. My third lesson from John the Baptist is that he knew his audience. John knew who he was living his life for. He knew he was living his life for the audience of God. He knew he was not living for man's approval. He would have lived very differently if he was. He lived for a kingdom culture. He knew his identity was in heaven, not on earth. And that is what he lived for. And in John 3, 26 to 30, this is such an incredible um, section where it says this. So John's disciples came to him. This is when his ministry is starting to decline. And said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing people. And everyone is going to him instead of coming to us. John replied, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you, I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. And this is probably the power verse. I want you to all put this on your fridge. He must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. How insightful, right? He is being faced with his ministry declining on an earthly level, he looks like a failure. Um, 
And yet he's so secure in his identity. He's so secure in his purpose. And he's so secure in who he's living his life for. He's like, this is what God's given me. I'm just called to steward that. And God's pleased with me. So it actually doesn't matter that other people are going, oh, what's going on? My life is lived for God. Um, and the other thing we see that he didn't actually change his, who he was depending on the group. He was exactly the same with the disciples that he had. He was exactly the same. He says the same thing right here. With the Pharisees, he's, he's exactly the same. With um, King Herod, which we're about to look at, um, he's exactly the same. Um, with Jesus, he's exactly the same. And so he is consistent all the way through because his life is lived for God. It's not lived for people. We start to sh- change who we are depending on the group that we're with because we live for the p- approval of people, not for the approval of God. And so I know I am so challenged by this personally. I want to be consistent in, in whatever setting I'm in. And I know that that's your heart too. Um. Pete Scazzaro says this, John the Baptist was very aware of who he was and was not influenced by what others thought of him. He was free from impressing people but was completely attuned to what God's mission was for him. So we see that he didn't have fear of man with the people that followed him when he was looking like maybe he was failing and trying to, oh, no, 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 they should be coming to me. He, he he, He didn't care. He also didn't have fear of man with the Jewish leaders. Um, Calling them a brood of vipers is pretty bold. Um, You didn't talk to any leaders that day like that, especially the religious leaders. But he he knew what he was called to do. He was calling people to repent. He was calling people to make, he was preparing to make the way for Jesus. So he just did what he did. He just, it was who he was. And then he also didn't have fear of man um, with King Herod. And we're going to, we're going to end on this fourth point is that he knew his cost he didn't live for the approval of people and he knew his cost he knew the price he would have to pay to be fully obedient to to God and the call that he had on his life and so Matthew 14 it tells us about how um, you know he'd really annoyed King Herod's wife and she wanted revenge Um, because he called them out on their bad relationship, just doing what he did. Um, And Herod's like, well, I can't kill him because he's a good man and people don't want that. So she found a way to manipulate the situation and um, got her daughter to do this awesome dance. It must have been pretty good um, because it meant that he promised in front of everyone, um, you know, I'll do whatever you want. And Herod, uh, his wife was like, okay, say that you want John the Baptist's head on a platter. And so that's what happened. He was like, well, I can't say no to that. And so that was the end of John's life. He got beheaded for following the call of God on his life. He lived a life that matched his calling all the way through. And, you know, we hear that and we go, whoa, like that's such a big price to pay. But he was doing that from the beginning. You know, the, the, um, the words that Gabriel spoke over him, he will... He won't, he's not allowed to touch wine. He's not allowed to have any of this. He's going to live differently. Um, and, you know, he was, he was kind of living a very different life. He wasn't living the mainstream life. So we hear this and we go, oh, my gosh, that's so extreme. But actually, he was doing that all along. So this wasn't that big of a deal. He was so used to paying the price. He was so used to being obedient to God that it ended with his life because he, nothing could hold him back. And um, as the um, worship team come and join me, 
I wanted to um, end on a story today that I heard maybe two, three years ago. Um, it's about uh, two women called Saint Perpetua and Felicity. Has anyone heard of that before? No, I hadn't either. Um, and we were watching this just uh, a couple of months before we were kind of setting out to plan uh, pl- plant this church. And at the time, I started to kind of get a bit cold feet. <laughs> I was like, oh what are we doing? (laughs) Like, really, God? Like, you know, we've got, like, we're comfortable. We are. We're comfortable in this church. And and, and to be honest, I was actually worried about my kids. At that point, I didn't have Caden, but I had Jordan. And I was just worried about her. I was like, oh, how is this going to end out for her, Um, if I'm being honest? And we're watching this church history thing and uh, video. And it tells a story, and I'll just summarize it. But essentially, um, about 200 AD, um, these two women um, in the north of Africa were, uh, it was where persecution for Christians was starting to ramp up. Um, and, you know, one of the things about persecution, people didn't actively try and seek this out, okay? Sometimes we glorify like martyrdom and persecution. Um, people, no one wants to die, right? Um, so people weren't tr- actively trying to get themselves persecuted. But if people were trying to say, you can't worship Jesus, you need to deny Jesus, there's a, there's a war there. Um, and her own father, who was, was um, not a believer, was saying, what are you doing? Like, stop, stop saying you're a Christian. You're going to get killed because this government is not favorable on Christians right now. And she, she kind of looked at a pot plant or something, a pot of vase, and she said, what is that? And he's like, it's a vase. And she said, just like you have to call that what it is, so am I a Christian. And I cannot just say that I'm not because it might cost me something. Um, at the time, she, Perpetua, had a very small infant. Um, and so she ended up getting thrown into prison in this time and separated from her baby. And anyone that is a mother understands that in that crucial time, especially in the first couple of weeks, you need to be with your baby. You need to feed them and all those things. So she's... This is a pretty big thing for her to do this, right? It would be so much easier for her to say, yep, actually, no, I'm not. I'm just going to play it safe. Her friend Felicity um, is actually eight months pregnant at the time um, as well. And it gets to the point where they get in front of a crowd, they get the hearing um, because it was punishable by death. And they're basically saying, just say you don't believe. Just stop saying you're a Christian, okay? And we won't kill you. And this, they were part of a bigger group, but... They just said, we can't. We can't be dishonest. Like, we love Jesus. That's who we are. Um, and so it, it goes on um, that they, uh, two days before they're due to be executed, she still hasn't had her baby. And um, in that time, you weren't allowed to be killed if you were um, with child. Um, so they're like, what's going to happen? And they pray. And she goes into labor and, and gives birth in the prison. And has actually started to get mocked by the guards. They're like, oh, well, you think you're in suffering now. You wait till, you know, two days time. You'll be really suffering. Right? Chilling. <laughs> like anyone that's given birth, a prison is not the place that you want to be, especially in that kind of antagonistic environment. And yet in all that, they were still so faithful to Jesus. They didn't compromise. They were bold. They were like, this is who we are. We have to. And even at the threat of like, what's going to happen to your children? Um, they were like, well, we, 
Jesus first. This is who we're called. It's King Jesus. That's who we're called to serve. And obviously they love their kids, but they're called to be obedient to Jesus. And so it ended up, um, as most of the martyrs in this time did, ending up in a gladiator field where um, both were killed by a sword. Um, And I remember kind of when we watched that video, I just was so emotional because I was like, oh my gosh. Like, first of all, just heartache. Any parent would understand just that feeling of fear that you would have for your kids. But also just so impressed by their bravery. Like we have this incredible legacy before us of Christians that have time and time again lost their lives They've paid the ultimate price for Jesus and they've paved a way for Christianity to be spoken about. So many people came to Jesus because they're like, whoa, this has to be real. You don't just give up your life for this. And um, I was so challenged because here I was like, oh God, like, you know, I don't want to be uncomfortable. I'm, I'm scared. And then I'm hearing this story and I'm like, oh, that kind of puts things in perspective, doesn't it? Like these guys lost their lives. Um, and so... The thing about this is when you love someone, you don't count the cost. You don't count the price that you'll pay. And sometimes we hear this and we we know that the Christian life costs us something. You know, for most of us, um, probably all of us, it won't result in this extremity of losing our lives. Um, But it does cost us our comfortability. It does cost us our energy. It does cost us maybe even... Uh, losing the approval of people or not being in the status quo of our culture. But if you love someone, you don't care. You're like, I'll pay whatever price I need to to bring happiness, to 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 do this. And I, I feel that this morning when we hear this, to pay the price, to, to know the cost, it comes out of a love for Jesus or us it's duty these guys didn't die because it was their duty they died because they loved Jesus and I want to just encourage you this morning that I really feel so strongly that there are people here that God God has spoken to you God has filled you with his identity his purpose his calling and there's been some things holding you back the fear of people is a big one fear of man is huge But also the fear of the future. You know, just like I said before, I was freaking out. I was going, oh, I don't know how this looks, God. And it's okay to be scared. It's okay to be human and feel. But we don't let those things stop us. There is such peace that comes when we are fully abandoned to what God has called us to do, to following Him completely and fully surrendered. And I'll just end on this. Pandita Remember, Sorry, I hope I said her name right says this, a life totally committed to God has nothing to fear, nothing to lose, and nothing to regret. Nothing to fear, nothing to lose, nothing to regret. If you are in the will of God, you are in the perfect place.